Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. Tonight features a City of God powered by Pure Torque. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One has two good movies, the other two bad. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam on the motorcycle highway of life to Brazil, Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani, coming this January. Oh, yeah, you're going to suck. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot of coming and sucking. It's going to be all over. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, now. <laughs> uh, but uh, welcome, everybody, especially new listeners. I'm sure you loved hearing that. Welcome to the Double Edge Double Bill. Uh, our topic for this week, uh, because we are smack dab in the middle of January, is January releases. And January has a bad reputation for movies, doesn't it, Adam? Oh, absolutely. It's a dumping ground for the most part. Right, because whatever comes out in January is usually either Oscar movies that are expanding wide, or mm-hmm. you have these movies that are just going to be dumped out here that no one really gives a shit about. Like, this week of recording, it's Escape Room. Oh, I know. What the hell? <laughs> the movie based on the escape rooms, and you just watch the trailer and you're like, this looks stupid. Oh, Tyler Labine. What are you I doing know. here? And <laughs> what's her so name? Sad. What's her name from Daredevil? Yeah, right. <laughs> Like, oh boy. <laughs> oh, guys. You could just see her just like, man, at least season four is going to happen. Oh. Right. <laughs> right. No matter what happens here, I'll be safe because of Daredevil season four. <laughs> but there are gems that do sneak through in January. It's sometimes it's a movie that maybe the studio doesn't have confidence in, but ultimately ends up really surprising and especially being kind of a rare moneymaker around this. I mean, Liam Neeson owes his late career to January action movies oh, pretty much. We're not talking about any of those particular movies. We are talking about uh, two January releases that at the la- end of our last episode, um, our 2018 review episode, we end up picking um, for our good picks, which Adam had a selection of City of God, which mm-hmm. is interesting because it had a weird kind of like, it had a bunch of festival releases in 2002 and then a limited release in the US in 2003 in January. And that's why we're counting it as that. We go by the US releases for this. Right, right. Right. And, and then uh, Torque is the bad choice. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but first, let's get into our discussion of the good film, City of God. Rio de Janeiro. The beach. The nightlife. The romance. But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. City of God. City of God, which came out January 17th, 2003, in the U.S. limited release that I mentioned. Uh, And Adam, this was your pick, uh, so why don't you go ahead and talk a bit about Mm -hmm. why did you want to have this one? I remember the first time I saw this, and it blew me away. Um, And I think it is a very... I I mean, a lot of people have seen it, but there's also a lot of people like yourself who had never seen it before. You might have heard of it, but never actually got around to seeing it. And I I just think it's a very underappreciated movie. I think the cast of virtually all non-actors are all excellent in it. The scenery, the, the cinematography, it's a heartbreaking movie, too. Like, it's hard to watch to think, like, this shit really goes on in places. You know, for not being remembered, the fact of the matter was it was nominated for four Oscars and lost all four, but still. Yeah, it was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Director, Best Film Editing, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It lost the cinematography to Master and Commander, which, to be fair, that's a pretty great looking movie. And then also the other ones were lost to The Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which that's a bad year to be nominated (laughs) because that one just swept the fuck out of everything. (laughs) Well, that's because they're like, we got to give it to them this year. 
Um, it was basically it was the like, hey, we're, we should honor the fact that you made these three fucking movies and they're so great as it is with the last. Right, one. exactly. But um, no, I just think it's a great movie, man. I and I think scariest dudes I've ever seen on screen, and he's so little and unimposing, but he's still just terrifying. Like I said, I just I can't recommend this enough. It's a hard one to watch. In certain parts, like, I couldn't say watching this every year, but, or, you know, throw it on at a party, but... It's the feel-good movie of the the new millennium, come on. (laughs) But I just think it's a fantastic movie, and uh, what did you think of it? Because this is your first viewing. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I'd heard of this movie, never seen it. I've seen that poster plenty of times of just, like, Uh the, the guy and the girl on the beach... And I'm like, all right, this, this sounds interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I really did enjoy the hell out of this. Um, as much as you can enjoy literally children killing right, each other exactly. in gang right, wars exactly. in Brazil. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's a big, sprawling, epic story. And what I really love about it is the fact that it's structured very much as like a sort of stream of consciousness. One thing affects the other, the dominoes that sort of fall in this town, in, in like the slums of Rio, which I, I, I love how that's all conveyed. And especially how it's all edited together, it kind of feels like, you know, a bit Sam Raimi influenced, also a bit Guy Ritchie especially. This was not too long after, like, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch even. Like, you can tell it was kind of influenced by, like, sort of stuff like that with the quick cuts and editing. Which, interestingly, I think that's probably the biggest connection between our two movies, is the weird sort of editing structure that's going on. (laughs) This one done well. A bit better, perhaps. Yeah, I, I really dug it. And like you said, they are mostly unknown actors. The only people that people might recognize are um, Angelica, as played by Alice Braga, who's popped up in a bunch of, like, she's sort of, like, the um, stand-in for Jeanette Goldstein, who actually is Latina, to some extent, unlike, unlike Jeanette Goldstein. Because she's been in stuff like Predators and I Am Legend. Also, I didn't realize this until I was doing research after I watched the movie, Sue Georgie, um, the guy who plays Knockout Ned, um, I found out he is a Portuguese musician who was the guy who did Portuguese covers of David Bowie songs in Life Aquatic. Oh my god. Oh my god. Right? We never even placed that. Right! Oh, wow. No and, kidding. That's yeah. awesome. And he's really talented too. I recommend that album they put out with Life Aquatic of him doing Portuguese covers of David Bowie. It's really great. But yeah, but yeah, otherwise, very completely unknowns. And I agree that they really pick such dynamic interesting actors uh like we're gonna apologize right now for any mispronunciations it's gonna be so garbage because we're a couple white guys alexandre rodriguez who plays rocket um i thought was a really good compelling sort of lead especially the guy who has like narrate and weave this whole story through and you really see how he would want to become a reporter because he's sort of been on the sidelines for all this stuff but he still like wants to express that story out in his own way I love that. Or also, I'm guessing you were referencing uh, Lil Zé, as played by Leonardo uh, Firmino when he was older. But even Douglas Silva as the young version of him, Lil Dice, is also terrifying. Because he's... They look like... It's just, did you just displace this actor out of time and Uh fucking shoot him? Because it's like... Something in the mouth or something like that. Like, they both got the same teeth and they... The facial structure is very similar, yeah. yeah. No, he's terrifying. Even as a little kid where it's just like, you, when you find out he shot all the people in the whorehouse, and you're like, oh. oh, fuck, this kid just has no shits given about death or anything like that. But at the same time, what I like is, I was worried when that happened, where it's like, oh, he's not going to be at all human. But he has that relationship with Benny, and I was actually really compelled by that sort of weird thing where he, he only cares about one person, and it's fucking Benny, basically. Yeah. And he has that genuine friendship that kind of builds her out there, and then Benny's like, no, man, I want to get the fuck out of here. And that he can't handle that idea because Benny's the only person he gives a shit about in all the slums. And right. I, I found that to be he's such an interesting villain character to play off. Honestly, this felt very much like somebody wanted to do their own sort of godfather epic crime story and meant to do it in just about two hours, which I was impressed by. Like, all of this story just packed into that short a time span. Yeah, and it doesn't really feel rushed. I, I thought it was the perfect length. All the characters that are important, you get enough story about them. It's not overblown or anything like that. I just, yeah, I I agree, though. That's a very good point about, like, Godfather crime epic. That's exactly what this feels like. Yeah, or even this is, it, it also kind of feels like maybe, since it's lower rent, like a Scarface kind of thing as well. Which, for the record, I would prefer this to a Scarface. I like Scarface. Oh, God. Overrated in many And it's real, aspects. these are real accents, too. So <laughs> what are you talking about? Al Pacino, the most authentic accent of all time for Cuba. Robert Loggia. Oh, right. <laughs> That's a discussion for a different day. But uh, no, I, I really 
do agree. There feels like an authenticity here. I was kind of worried also, like, is this going to be kind of exploitative? But it doesn't necessarily feel that way either. It just feels very frank in a way that I was genuinely invested in. But, like, all these kids who are like, I don't think any people amongst the major cast members are supposed to be above the age of, like, 20. At best. Except for Ned. Well, that's true. Ned, yeah, probably looks more toward 30 at that point. Yeah. Um, but at still, at the same time, like, what, what works is that all of these kids, it feels like, despite... It doesn't feel like they're child actors who are kind of trying to play these kind of street toughs. It's like, no, these people know what the fuck they're talking about. Because, like you said, a lot of this is actually... These kids were from these slums in Rio, and they just picked them up. A lot of them had no interest in acting. Like, even the main guy, Rodriguez, was just accompanying his friend when they went to an audition and got cast in the main part. Um, No, it's a very good point. It never feels exploitive or anything like this. This is what's happening over there. But then again, it never feels like a a pity movie either. It really doesn't. Because, you know, Rocket, there's light at the end of his tunnel. You know, and I mean, and he does everything he can to make sure it happens. God, what a depressing movie to do, though, man. <laughs> Holy hell. Uh, well, where do you start? <laughs> <There's>... yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the scene with Little Zay and the kid gang. We're the, with the real little kids. Where he makes them shoot. Like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, don't make these little kids do this. Like, he shoots the one in the foot or whatever. And then he makes the other kid who's like maybe a couple years older than him. Like, hey, shoot one of these two kids. Kill him. Yeah, right here, we gotta test your worth. You're like, oh no, Jesus! I mean, they're babies, dude. Oh no, and they're, they're so adorable too. Like, especially I the youngest know. kids, and even like uh, they call them the runts, right? The little kids that like come yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. It's so depressing, but at the same time, it is. There is almost kind of like a dark charm to it. The scene where like they go over to Rocket um, and Angelica as they're like smoking the weed, and the runts come over, just like, hey man, can I have a toke off that joint? It's like, you keep it. Wow, what a cool guy. And he just bogarts it from the other kids. I know. I know. <laughs> like, that's another thing. Is that, like, I like the fact that there's a sort of dark humor that goes on at the same time. It's just like, they just treat this as like, this is their lives. And it's depressing. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like the characters are necessarily suffering the whole time. They suffer, obviously, when they have the gang violence come into it. But when it's just scenes like that, there's enough of those to where it's just like, okay, this is not the way a child should be raised at all. But at the same time, they're trying to live through it. They're having some fun when they fucking can which makes it a bit more endearing it makes it so much worse though at the same time when people get killed oh dude it's so much worse (laughs) oh my gosh now okay there's one part of this movie that almost took me out of it and still almost does every time the necklace with little zay where he can't fornicate while wearing the necklace or he'll be cursed does and then his downfall happens i just feel that might be a little bit unnecessary is this what you're talking about with, like, the rape scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's wearing the necklace when he does it. And when he's given the necklace, he's told it's a blessed necklace, but he mustn't fornicate with it on. You know, I might have been a bit distracted during that scene, Adam, from the necklace detail. <laughs> um, well, I just saw it because they show it in detail, like, swinging back and forth. I guarantee you, the first time I watched this, I was a little bit distracted. But I've seen the movie a couple times now. I mean, I don't know if that bothered me as much necessarily. Um, if as anything, the rape? But... The rape probably yeah, bothered the, you Yeah, more. that bothered me a bit more. Yeah, yes. the... <laughs> The, the, the rape and then, like, having, like, the boyfriend watch while they're putting his foot to his head and also shoot right in front of him. I might have been a bit concerned with other things that were going on. Um, I don't know if that bothered me as much. I think it just honestly, I think it's some of the stuff, like, after we have our, the trio, which we should mention, like, it kind of starts off with Rocket has a, like, flashback after this great chase scene with the chicken. I love how that mo- the movie starts. This is a great energetic way to start your movie. And then how we come back to it later. But then we have sort of like the trio of characters um, who are like the initial robbers that like later on they rob the uh, whorehouse and everything like that. I think the point between like when they steal everything and then when eventually they all kind of get murdered, that's the one time where I kind of felt the movie drag a bit. That's the one time where I was kind of not as invested in what was going on, but the moment like... It's like the stuff with Rocket's brother. You mean, yeah, like stuff yeah, like that. But but the moment that heartbreaking scene happens where he's chasing, like he's trying to help the girl out in the car, and the police and all the other guys come over and start shooting him while she's in the car and she's shooting, and he's fucking uh, running and he falls over. Oh, that's so brutal. <laughs> that's it's uh, so fucking hurts because you really you really feel all the pain that's there. And then what I love about the movie though, at the same time, is it allows those moments to happen. And then it's like, this is really sad. Move on to the next character. <laughs> like, it, right. it, this movie fucking moves really fast. Like you said, it, it hits, it's a quick punch constantly. Like, oh, they're dead. Here you go. Oh, look at the, oh, they're dead now. Oh, okay, here you go. 
Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't stop. But that's I think that's the reason I I remember this movie. I've shown this movie to a couple people, not many, just because I don't know if I want to do that to somebody. But hey, mom, I got a great movie for you. <laughs> right, hey, grand, grand. Oh, City of God, is this a Christian film, Adam? Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, well. Uh, see you next year everybody who I've shown this movie to there's not one person who's been like yeah it was alright everyone's like holy crap what a fucking movie like it gut punches you repeatedly and how bad do you really feel for Benny in this movie oh my god yeah cause he wants to get the fuck out and you really he's believe he's just dressing nice he's meeting yeah. a girl he's going, going to the clubs just to dance He's trying to even steer little Zay away from it, tell him, you know, it's all bullshit. We don't need this. We can go live, Bob. Nah. (laughs) Even though there was a point, I think distinctively when I heard the words, oh, he gives away drugs for free, I'm like, he's not long for this world, is he? No, he's (laughs) dead. There's a bit of a doom kind of laying over him. Credit to, we haven't mentioned the actor who plays Benny, Felipe Hagenson, once again. Yeah, I was sorry. Yeah, uh, but uh, he he's really great, especially I love when he is on the dance floor, and when they, especially because we didn't mention this is technically a period piece, because it takes place over, like, from the 60s through, technically, I guess, the 80s, because it goes past the 70s, right? Yeah, I think, I, well, yeah, I think it, like, it ends in the late 70s. Right, the point where they're at, like, the discotheque, those scenes are so energetic and fun. I love the dance moves, I love the lighting that's all over the place, um, I love, especially when they're like James Brown and all this other music, and I love Rocket being up there doing DJing and stuff like that. There's a fun atmosphere that's going on in those scenes, like you mentioned, that we haven't seen elsewhere. It shows that, like, I think in a more exploitive movie, it would just be like, oh, look at these children on the streets, they have nothing, they die, and they starve. It's like, yeah, it's fucked up, but also they have fun when they can. And right, they- they're still kids. Exactly. There, there's still a lot of fun that's going on at the same time. But it, it, it feel, makes it them feel very human and grounded. Once again, makes, like, the moment during <laughs> the big strobe light fucking scene where he gets uh, shot so fucking brutal. And not to mention, the movie has such a fascination with, like, very quick death for, like, even side characters. Like, when that guy goes over to Redheaded Dealer. Carrot. Ca- Carrot, yeah. When he goes yeah. over to Carrot. And he just tells him, like, look, hey, I accidentally shot him. I was aiming for little Zed. He just got in the way. You ki- Man, you killed the coolest dealer in Rio. Bam. <laughs> and yeah. like, anyway, let's keep going. Or the the way that, like, um, little Zed just especially just shoots his, like, henchmen off to the side. That's something that, like, in m- many a crime thriller, like, that would seem kind of cliche. They just make it seem like, no, it's a part of life. You, you make one mistake and you're fucked. Pretty well, hardcore. The, yeah, dude. I mean, they pretty much, without directly saying it to you so you kill one dealer you got three who are ready to take his place mm-hmm. like everybody's expendable speaking of carrot though i thought he was excellent in this movie too and i am not trying to say his name matthias <laughs> but yep yeah that's it <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like but uh no i really liked him too and i you know even though he's a drug dealing piece of shit you almost feel bad for him when Zay comes and takes over his business. Like, for some reason, I'm like, ah, poor ginger drug dealer. <laughs> well, Aww. there's an entrepreneur spirit to him. He, he, was, right. he was trying to make his, his best in this particularly scummy world. Um, but I, I also like how the movie shows passage of time, which we, we haven't really mentioned the two directors, uh, Fernando Morales and Katia Lund. Um, I love how they sort of edit the movie, especially, like, there's a whole sequence where they show how um, Benny kind of, like, took over this particular um, drug deal that this woman was doing for, like, sexual favors. The Mm -hmm. fact that they just show it from one stagnant camera shot and they just, like, um, dissolve into, like, each single step as it gets taken over. And it all just feels like it's one giant fucking shot. I love how that's done. That's the thing. There's a lot of cool little tricks in this movie that work really well. And, And, again, I could see where you might think that they're old school tricks or like early nineties tricks because I mean, they are, but they never really take me out of it. Like maybe even a couple of the guy Ritchie movies do, or uh, another movie that <laughs> we're going to talk about soon where you're just like, wait, what? No, this one manages that- to feel sort of timeless. Cause it's that combination of being a period piece, but also having those stylistic inflections. It just sort of feels like this, this is going to sound kind of xenophobic maybe, but whenever you see like those bootleg DVD covers, 
of movies mm-hmm. that show up in like foreign nations. Um, yeah. And you just sort of see it's like their weird pastiche of like this is what an American movie is, and it Those feels like this has best. been. Oh, they're so awesome! That was so funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> like, but especially where it's just like it feels like there's a charm and a fascination in a way that's like no, this is like a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy that makes it feel sort of mm. its own timeless little pocket as opposed to it actually feeling dated, necessarily. I love how, like, I think this movie has so many combinations of influences. It feels like something so very unique. Uh, yeah, I can agree with that, absolutely. I guess that's more or less what I was getting at, um, especially because a lot of those scenes are done in the more lighthearted scene, you know, the moments of levity. Not so much when it's being really dark and depressing. And um, So it's a really good balance, because I when it's really, like, effed up in this movie, man, they shove it right in your face, don't they? <laughs> But not in a way to where it's... It never feels gratuitous, though. Again, right. it just it serves the story. It serves to show how shitty these conditions were and what these kids... Because, again, children are doing to survive. And the depths they have to sink to and the ultimate highs they get out of the simplest things. It's... I don't know, man. I, I don't like to say the word beautiful a lot when I'm talking about a movie, but I do... Th- find a lot of this movie to be quite beautiful and really dark and depressing there's a beauty they find inside of like these slums that i find really fascinating i love there's the bit where um very small little dice and and benny they disappear from that whorehouse thing and everyone thinks oh little dice is dead they they find him and he's, they're just over like just fucking dancing about like how they have money yeah counting just, all the money and playing with guns and shit Despite the fact that they don't know how fucked up the situation is, they at the same time are like reveling when they do have something like this, like, yeah, we're rich, this is great. They feel like little kids. They're just like reveling in this. And that even translates to the super fucked up, but I think really beautifully bittersweet ending of the movie. Where, as you mentioned, you have the Rocket character. He's like, well, yeah, now I've got the job because I took the pictures and all that. Um, it's it's an internship. It plays a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's something. I'm, I'm kind of getting more out of this life and they just pan over to all the kids who fucking shot little zed and are just like gonna go off and become like the new leaders how it's just like despite how certain people can't progress and get out these environments still are doomed to a certain extent to have like these gangs roam around it's still like that doesn't solve the problem that's going on yeah that's a very good point for everyone that gets out of you know situations or whatever like this 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 don't. And that's basically what they're showing you. Yeah, Rocket made it out and became a photographer, but then this whole cycle is going to restart with these children again. They're all just going to grow up to be, you know, the next little Zay, the next carrot. It's a never-ending cycle. Right, which to be fair is based on sort of like this era. I don't think we're experts on how the modern slums are today. I don't know if it's any better or any worse necessarily. But based well, on, like, on the narrative last, of the movie portrays. my last adventure... <laughs> Sorry, I jest. I'm not an adventurer. Um, I don't know if you knew that. What? Uh, I no. love reading the Adam Thomas Chronicles. Sure. I don't pretend to know what it's like there anymore. And I don't pretend to know what it was like then. I mean, obviously, I'm only seeing it in film form. From all the documentaries I've seen and, you know, even articles I've read and stuff, from what I understand, it's still pretty lawless in the favelas. And even when this movie was made in the early 2000s, certain things were actually just like things that um, these actors were saying like, sort of off-camera, not intending. Like, they just kind of improvised on the set. Like, there's the whole scene where the gang prays before uh-huh. the war starts was completely not scripted because they literally were about to shoot. Then one kid was like, wait, why aren't we going to pray like we do when this really happens? Right. Like, that was the thing. Or and then also... saying he's never had a hot bath. Right. That was, like, literally something oh. they were saying off-camera and the camera's still just rolling, so they kept that in. Oh, how depressing. How awful. Yep. Oh, and another thing, they couldn't actually even film this in the right place. Where it, the story actually takes place, it was too dangerous. Right. So I think they went like a couple towns over, a couple, whatever you want to call it, slums or... Oh, man. Uh. <laughs> well, on that light note, Adam, I guess, uh, why don't you go into your final thoughts on City of God? I think this is a movie that people, if you're interested in this type of movie, I think it's going to be right up there. Like, you, I've never forgotten this movie. And I saw it probably the year after it came out. I didn't see it at the show, but I saw it in the early 2000s. And I still have never forgotten it. Um, it's stuck with me. I think it'll stick with a lot of people. Um, not in a bad way. 
I mean, you're yeah, it's depressing, but it's a good movie. There's genuine craft here. There's, you know, very beautiful cinematography, very beautiful landscapes, beautiful just acting and story and delivery and everything just works. It's a co- very, very cohesive, tight movie. There might be a scene or two where it drags, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, it doesn't affect the overall movie. I do. I, do. I just absolutely love this movie. Hopefully there's people who listen to this show who will be like, what is city of God and go watch it. I just think it's a movie that deserves to be seen. Right. And as someone who hadn't seen it before, I, I do very much agree as we're recording this, it's on Netflix might not be if you're listening to it a bit later than in January, but I would definitely recommend you give it a watch. I, I think it's, it's like we mentioned here. It's it, if you're worried like, Oh, is this going to be depression porn? Not necessarily. Depression really works for the crime story they're telling. But at the same time, you do feel like these characters are living a life that might not be ideal, but at the very least, they find some joy in. But at the same time, you see all the CD underpinnings. Like, we didn't even mention any of the stuff with the cops in this movie, and how uh, fucking corrupt all that shit is. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that's, that's really fucked up, too. Probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, the whole fo- photography thing at the end of the movie. I love that. Maybe the best, like, technically bit of found footage you've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's really good. That whole bit, I think it's so excellently filmed, and it just encapsulates the entire movie of just, like, these kids are, you know, trying to work the system, but then they get screwed over by a bunch of kids who are there just, like, trying to advance in the screwed-up system at the same time. There's no winning. This entire society will end up eating you up if you get too far into the crime angle like this. But I like that we have, like, a rocket who's someone who wants to try and get it, but who finds a genuine passion in photography and tries to display that. And it's a shame also that the directors um, haven't done much else that, like, most would know. Like, I know the Fernando did do stuff like The Constant Gardener, which feels kind of like a movie that uh. you would fear this movie would be. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Like, the sort of Oscar Beatty, like, especially a white person coming into a foreign land, like, oh my god, look at how... All these people suffered. And calm down, Ray Fiennes. Um, yeah, exactly. And then also Blindness, the Julianne Moore movie. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you wanted to be blind, didn't you, when you saw that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. It's just like, I think that happens, unfortunately, too much. You don't get a lot of like foreign directors who come in and actually like don't get chewed up by the Hollywood system, aside from like Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron. Like, there's not a lot of others no i agree with you it's like they do a really well done well received film in their native country or their native tongue and then they come here and it's like well you're hot on the independence here make this right and even they suffered that where del toro had mimic and then uh, which and they blade just too well and blade too but more i'm saying more mimic in terms of like here we're gonna cut this up to shit and we're not gonna give a shit about you with this like monster movie um and then even alfonso Cuaron had that great expectations adaptation with ethan hawk yeah (laughs) it makes me curious about apparently the directors also would later go on to get some of the cast members to do city of men which was sort of like a dramedy show was that not great (laughs) it's okay okay it's all right it's not bad but mm-hmm. it's not nearly on the level of this one. Well, I would have definitely like to see these directors at least do more, and I'd definitely like to see more films that take place in sort of, like, these nations that are kind of decrepit in certain ways, like, from the actual perspective of people who, like, know what it is, or at least have huge influence from, like, especially these kids who come in and feel very authentic. I would like to see that more authenticity in movies like that. Sure. But speaking of authenticity, <laughs> let's Ooh, talk about yes. the most authentic movie of 2004, Torque. Seems your buddy Junior turned up dead. Feds think you did it. Hell, everybody thinks you did it. Nark can smash you right now. Innocent men don't run. I took off so you wouldn't get dragged into it. Must be frustrating. From the producer of The Fast and the Furious, don't just cross the line. Burn it. <sighs> so, Torque. Yeah. Torque uh, is a film from Joseph Kahn, uh, who is interesting. He's had a very weird career path where he initially started music videos, did some famous music videos. Like, he co-directed Living Dead Girl, the music video, the Backstreet's Back video from Backstreet Boys, Without Me by Eminem, amongst others. And he still does music videos to this day for, like, as recent as Look What You Made Me Do with Taylor Swift. Um, but he also has done films like Torque was his first film, then he did that movie, uh, Detention, 
which I wasn't a very huge fan of. Tension. It's um. Oh, it's that a, horror movie. Right, the horror comedy movie. Oh yeah, no, that sucked. I didn't like it. Then he did Bodied this uh, past year, which I've seen since we did our 2018 wrap-up, and is one of my favorite movies from 2018. I fucking loved it so much. I've had the weirdest track record with this dude. Um, if you're familiar with the bootleg series that Andy Shankar does on YouTube, he did the Power Rangers one. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Super... So I, I like this guy's style, and you can tell that he's usually a guy that has sort of like a self-awareness of what he's doing with sort of like the silly over-the-top zaniness. And I think that's present in Torque, but I don't think it's present in everybody who's doing Torque, necessarily. <laughs> no. Well, because uh, Torque, for those of you who have never heard of this magical film, uh, came out uh, January 16th, 2004, and it's basically a Fast and the Furious ripoff, but these guys are motocross motorcycle drivers. Um, and... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the crotch rockets, or whatever you want to call them. Right, um, yeah, and it's mainly, you follow, like, Martin Henderson is the main guy, and he's fighting against Ice Cube, who plays, like, a guy on a rival gang, and also they're being chased by, um, some FBI operatives, including Adam Scott, pre oh. him being at all famous for doing comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could tell they gave him, he's worked on his chops a little bit. <laughs> but because, so the thing is, God. I would argue of anybody, Adam Scott knows exactly the movie that, say, uh, Joseph Kahn is trying to make. I think because he is so over the top in a silly way, where it almost feels like sort of a trial run for his other comedy characters. Like, there's not a lot of difference between him here and, say, his character in Step Brothers at all. No, that's true. That's true. It just, I mean, he might know, but it doesn't work juxtaposed against everyone else who is taking this so seriously. Which you figure would be the comedy, and I think it does work in some places. Like, I think the opening bit where Martin Henderson, like, comes across some wannabe Fast and Furious guys who drive up in their cars, and he's like, why do you guys drive in cars always have to be such assholes? And then he fucking hits them with a tire iron as, like, a big fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> like that. That's great. I think the, if the movie was firing on that cylinder the whole time, it would be aces. And there are points, especially in the last, like, 10 to 15 minutes or so of this movie where I think it does that. It just is still, I agree, very sort of inconsistent with, like, everyone else kind of, like, being quite in on it, especially during, like, the scenes where they have to have drama happen. Mm -hmm. um, and also, what who I find most fascinating, though, is Ice Cube, who I don't think is taking it seriously, but I think is genuinely upset he's in the movie. Like, he I, I, doesn't want to be so. there at all. <laughs> he should be. Right, and we should mention this was actually produced by one of the lead guys who's been producing all the Fast and Furious movies, uh, Neil H. Moritz. And you can kind of tell that I think he wanted this to probably be more like what Fast and Furious was at that point. Which this oh, is this, this only came out like a year after Too Fast, Too Furious. Which we should note that this is a movie making fun of like the Fast and the Furious franchise at that time. And then, weirdly, it feels like, especially when they get into like the fourth and fifth ones after that... It feels like it's taking way more from Torque than the original Fast and Furious movies as they go along. Uh-huh. Oh, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Really poorly animated, like, engine shots and all that. Because of Fast and the Furious. There's no question. No, they're trying to parody like, I mean, the that's... Nas thing. They even, they directly quote oh. Fast and Furious where someone I says, know. like, I live my life one quarter mile at a time. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Mwah, mwah. <laughs> the reason I chose this as one of my choices was I find this movie incredibly fascinating on just like a sort of cultural touchstone level. Like we talked about with City of God feels kind of timeless despite all its influences that are going on. This is a movie that only could have been made in 2004 to 5, <laughs> really. Oh no, 100%. And I'd argue that they've tried to make movies just like this past and they don't do anything. Hurricane Heist. Uh... <laughs> Biker Boys, which came out like a year or two after this. Uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. I'm not saying this movie works, because it doesn't. But it would work even less at <laughs> another time. Yes, I can agree with that. Jamie Presley, how many times has she got to lick her fucking lips? <laughs> I don't know. I at least thought she was like embracing that punk chick role pretty well. And I like especially her knife fight that she has on the bikes. I oh love that God. whole fucking sequence. That sequence oh, is bonkers. <laughs> it's terrible. No, but it's fucking bonkers though. I love the how static X plague. Yeah. Right, and also they that's mentioned she rolls up right against um Shane. Okay. 
right, Shayna, Monette, Mazur. Um, like they they pull up on their bikes, and one's in front of a Mountain Dew billboard, one's in front of a oh Pepsi my billboard. God, I that, know that feels like very intentional satirization of like the Fast and Furious, especially their product placement at that time was ridiculous with stuff like that. A lot of movies, like even um Triple X, had similar stuff like that too, like the, the Vin Diesel vehicles of this time. There, there are moments like that that feel like very pointed satire, and even like their knife fight when they're fighting each other against the bikes. I would argue is. A lot of fun, despite how fucking stupid it is. It's so stupid. But you can laugh at it. I'll give you that. I mean, it's groan-worthy, but laugh-worthy, too. But I think we're doing a disservice to this gem of a film. If we don't mention how just boring Martin Henderson is. (laughs) Well, I mean, he feels like it definitely is a case of, like, Joseph Kahn wanted to clearly cast somebody who kind of resembled Apologies, R.I.P., the blandness of Paul Walker, which I'm sorry. It's been long enough, I think it's been, he, he, I don't think he was ever quite that great. He was great in certain oh. things, but I don't think uh, for the most part, especially in the Fast and Furious movies, I was never the hugest fan of his very oh. bland, uh, wannabe Keanu and Point Break character. 100%. Yeah. Um, and you can tell like they're trying to kind of make him a stand-in for that type of bland, heterosexual, white male lead. And I think... Joseph Kahn's working around the fact that Martin Henderson is boring, I think, oh, to kind of so make it... boring. <laughs> to, to make, I think, lines like the quarter mile at a time or the opening scene where it's just like, how much to clean off these windows, kid? Uh, Five dollars? Make it ten. <laughs> it's... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> I, just, I find that shit fucking hysterical. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who the fuck he is, he's the guy who dies in the ring. Yes. He's the dad or whatever. Right. Where she crawls out of the TV. That's his biggest claim to fame. That and, like, Smoking Aces. Yep. This feels right at home with, like, the Smoking Aces era of movies. Well, that's even a bit past it, though. That movie didn't do as well when it came out because it was, like, that was, like, 2007? Which was uh, yeah, too late for that. <laughs> yeah, it was. I still like that movie, though. I think that movie's fun. Now, <clears throat> we have to get to the fucking weird-ass camera angles in this movie. <laughs> What are you talking about? Like, when the bikes break the fucking sound barrier and they go so fast and they're zooming through fucking everywhere? Well, that, but I'm I'm more or less even referencing when Adam Scott puts the key in the ignition of the Hummer. Mm-hmm. As like, and then they drive off. Like, what was the need for that? Well, I would argue, I think that stuff makes it at least more stylistically interesting than a lot of the other movies like this that are coming like around this time. times, though. Like, right. they do it several times, and after the third time, you're like, this. then, I mean, literally, a guy putting a key in ignition, that's what we're getting this for? That's, I think, where we have sort of, like, the satiric intent of, like, a Joseph Kahn coming in, because he has said that, like, he wanted more creative control over the product, and he wanted to basically make a dumb movie for smart people. And I think that's an attempt at, like, trying to satirize how much they treat so seriously, like, oh my god, we're gonna chase after him, we're gonna go so fast, and it's like, you're doing all this about putting a key in ignition. I feel like that's the stuff that's more commendable to me. Then when, as you mentioned, it gets more boring when you have, like, the characters actually talking to each other and you don't give a shit about, like, oh, my shop got ransacked, who cares? I care yeah, more when your shopping's okay. fucking blown up by a bomb and Adam Scott flies in the fucking... <laughs> that shit's awesome. Like, when... when I, That's the thing is, I feel so hot and cold about this movie, which is why I feel it's kind of an interesting time capsule, good-bad movie for what it is. It feels... I, I'll give you that. It yeah. is a good-bad movie. Yes. This is not the first time I've seen this movie, either. Mm-hmm. I saw it probably right around when it came out, and I remember thinking, this was fucking stupid when I first saw it. And I think I might have seen it even in between that time and now. But even watching it, I watched it and I thought it was all right. I fell asleep near the very end. And then my wife came home from work. She's like, well, what was your bad movie? So I put it on and we I watched it again from beginning to end. So, I mean, it's entertaining enough. You get laughs out of it. And it's really fun to watch it with somebody else who can appreciate how bad it is. <laughs> like, just like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Oh my, and not to mention, and there's certain stuff that, the fact that it is from 2004, just certain bits like, we gotta talk about the soundtrack, Adam, and how amazing this soundtrack yo, is. <laughs> yo, any movie that has not only Hoobastank in it, during a love chase scene. Yeah, or Kid Rock during a big scene Kid, where it's like, we're showing Kid off Rock. all these asses. Uh, Jane's Addiction, but Jane's also... Addiction. 
My it favorite ends with fucking Nickelback, bro. Specifically, someday, which I love. <laughs> that almost that feels like it's a once again a moment. Joseph Kahn just like this song's terrible and it's gonna age so poorly. Having this be like our ending, like our characters are going off in the sunset. Cut to fucking Whoa. Jack Kroger. Someday, someday, riding a bee across the desert to Mexico. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> Stuff like that, I think, makes it. Like I said, if. It, if you have an affection for how incredibly tastelessly dated 2004 was as a year in general, I think you will have a lot of fun with a torque. Torque is so silly. I even forgot that it ended with Someday, and I was cackling my Ugh. ass off. And how always terrible is Jay Hernandez? Yeah, I never... Like, that dude was all over the place in, like, the early 2000s, and he never worked. No, not once. I think... Isn't he Magnum P.I. now? I think so. I think he is. I don't even know if that show's still on. I know they did at least like half season i don't even know if it's still going what's the thing but, those shows either last a season or 17 like it's never yeah, some true. decent number <laughs> like I, unless you're that kid from monster trucks and it's macgyver oh my, no macgyver's still on what oh no oh jesus i always liked william lee as well uh some about him but he's never any good either this movie is just full of boring-ass people. What are you talking about, Adam? There, there's so many great... Uh, Dane Cook showing up, the funniest comedian of oh our time. Oh my god, I completely forgot about that. What the fuck? How stupid. Such an old, tired joke that I've seen in so many different movies and TV shows. What, where he comes out with his little digital camera and he's trying to take pictures of yeah, like, the bikers? Yeah, like the rich guy who just bought a motorcycle like pulls up on a biker gang. He's like, I'm just like you, bros. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. All right. And then he's in a Porsche later. Okay. What do you mean I can't return the bike? Uh... <laughs> um. And to be fair, I do kind of love when his car gets crushed by the Hummer that Adam Scott's, and especially the fact that Adam Scott lands on him upside down <laughs> and survives. And survives. Like, there's no reason him or the female FBI agent survived that. I love him even talking in the car where he's just like, you know, innocent men. Don't run. The train scene was pretty legit. Yeah. That's so over the top and crazy, especially when he actually is driving inside the train. But yeah, I kind of mentioned this earlier. There are so many points where you can tell like the sort of zany silliness is definitely like what kind of influenced the later Fast and Furious movies that went crazy, went way less about cars after a certain point. I don't know why it works in those movies more than it does in this one. Tells every cast member sort of buying into what they're doing. They know how crazy and over the top it is. Here's the thing. I don't necessarily think it's everybody. I think most of them are. 99% of the cast are, except for one crucial person. Vin Diesel? Vin Diesel no. <laughs> 100% is on board with how stupid this is, but in a way that he's like, no, this is serious shit. Hey, we're family. It's all about family. It's all about family, even though fuck The Rock, who's a piece of shit, and I don't like him, if you've seen those Instagram Have things. Have Chase, uh, my Trans Am, it's totally realistic, family. <laughs> I think that's the thing, is you, you have to have somebody who has that much conviction about it, but the conviction is in complete contrast to, like, his personableness as an actor. I think that's what works so much, is that Vin Diesel's the face of that franchise, and he's so without charisma as Dominic Toretto. Oh, God, yeah. He's terrible. But meanwhile, you have all the other people who have way more personality around him anyway. Or just the right amount of lack of personality, like Michelle Rodriguez, Ludacris, and Tyrese as well. They're the, um, they're the fun in the movie, other than The Rock. Yeah, that's true, The Rock. Is, and that's why I'm so excited for them just kind of trimming some of the treacle and just having him and Jason Statham and that spinoff. I'm so on board with that. Um, but yeah, as opposed to Torque, I think just has much more inconsistency around, like we mentioned, some people kind of are into it but in a way where they don't have really the talent to make it kind of seem charmingly stupid. Um, Adam Scott's the only one who I think knows exactly what this is. I see so many shades of not just like Step Brothers, but also like his sort of um, parody of egotistical action heroes in Piranha 3D. I see yeah. a lot of that here too. Um, and then Ice Cube, like I said, definitely has this look on his face where he's like, I want to take this seriously, but this movie's garbage and I'm angry that I'm here. <laughs> Which honestly, yes. that's that, I would not be surprised if Lord and Miller watched this movie and were like, hey, we should cast him in 21 Jump Street as this kind of character. Yeah, like, maybe so. 
And yeah. he might have been very upset that he's acting across Fredro Starr, who is horrible. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I do also love Faison Love coming in, especially after all, like after the climax happens. He's like, "Oh man, all these dead white people." <laughs> I love Faison Love. Period, though. Yeah, he's true. one of the consummate funny comedic actors. I mean, Big Worm from Friday. Of course. But yeah, I think that's definitely what it is. It just doesn't quite have that same thing where everyone's on at least mostly the same page, except for one person who's like... Uh, the director head. and the actor. One actor. Yeah. That's it. And they, I, you can just tell, dude, of course the studio is involved. No, get him. He's handsome. He's not really good. I don't think he knows what we're trying to do. Doesn't matter. Cast him. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. It's it's way <laughs> long hair. Beat up some bikers. <laughs> like okay, look, the guy who plays Henry. I I just want to talk about him for Matt yes. Schultz or whatever. Yes, this fucking guy has been the same in every movie he's in. He was the bad guy in the first Transporter with Jason Statham. He's Ron Perlman's buddy in Blade Two. He's Vince in Fast and the Furious, the first one, and I think like the fourth or fifth one when he comes back. Might even be the sixth one. I don't know. Um, he's literally that guy in every movie he's in. And I don't know why he got work. Period. Like, who saw this guy? Like, yeah, yeah, he's good. He's terrible. He's awful. He kind of feels he, like it's like, hey, we couldn't afford Tyler Maine. He's off doing WWE stuff. Right. Let's get this Here, guy. <laughs> slap this real shitty haircut on this guy and put oh, him in Oh, good lord. That, sh- that fucking haircut. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, uh, he's just awful. He's awful. But I guess the transition to your final thoughts, Adam, is this movie unwatchably awful? It is not unwatchably awful. It is watchably awful. It's a bad movie, but there is fun to be had in this movie. You can watch it and laugh. Like that scene that you're so fucking crazy about, the knife fight on motorcycle scene, is so outrageous, <laughs> but it's funny. It's not good. It's not cool. Or like, oh, sweet. I wonder how they did that. I mean, you're like, what the fuck are they doing in this movie? It doesn't stop there. It goes the whole movie. And then there's certain scenes where it's like Adam Scott and the other one interrogating the the dude at the um, gas station. And it's like just this crazy out of nowhere, pure comedy scene. You're like, wait a second. What? Huh? And then he drives a NASCAR out of the back of a semi. And dude... So do two other guys come flying out on motorcycles and no cop is shooting at them? Like, they would all have been dead. That plan would just not worked. Doesn't matter. It's awesome. It's and, and I love how just, if you're on a motorcycle, ramps will appear for you. <laughs> you just get ramps no matter where you are. Whether they're made out of, for some reason, highway signs laying on their side yet on an angle or an old bridge or a dirt mound, you're going to get a ramp. When, especially when you need one. This movie is so ridiculously terrible, but funny. It's a fun, bad movie. This is probably right up there with Hurricane Heist and f- is fun, bad. It's in a similar vein. I would, I would definitely agree with that. And in as much as, once again, it doesn't, it's not as consistent as some, like, the, the crown jewel that we still have is Miami Connection. Is the most fun. Oh, nobody will ever beat that. The very top bell for any bad movie that we ever do. And it was the second yeah, episode. I think so. um, yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it's, it's right there, and it's it's a shame that most can't reach it. And this one, I, but I think this one is funny, bad enough to where it, it's very interesting, especially if you just went and caps like, hey, what was like the early 2000s as a film landscape? It's this. It's it's very much this where you have some people trying to do clever ideas, contrasting with producers who definitely want this to be more like very silly, um, but treated seriously, uh, crime movie with pretty people in it. And some of the pretty people know what's going on, some of them don't, some of them are aware and are very pissed off. And I think that makes for a curious mess of a film, but I can't help but not recommend in the same funny bad way. Definitely with friends, uh, drinks um it's it's very fun in that way for sure um and like i said if you're also a fan of the fast and furious franchise it's an interesting marker for where that franchise was kind of treated at this point and where it would go from here not enough corona in this movie though not nope. nearly enough no nope. no you can have any beer you want as long as it's corona exactly uh, except in the last movie where they had fucking budweiser's and it was bullshit I'm still angry about that. Hey, Why? Wow, what's his name? Kurt Russell was drinking some Belgian beer. I forget what he was drinking. Right, yeah. 
But then he's like, uh-huh. I'll take a Corona. But then, like, like, I'm talking, like, in Fast 8, they're just like, oh, no, we're going to kick around with Budweiser. What the fuck are I didn't you see doing? That. I, I have not seen Fast 8. I have many issues with Fast 8, but that's a discussion for a different day, everybody. We have ended our double feature discussion, but we do have uh, some feedback we want to read and some thank yous and then our picking for next week at oh. the very end. Yes, but first, uh, we asked you all, what were some of your favorite January releases? Um, and Jonathan Hapton McHale, who was our previous guest, says, uh, some of my recent favorite January releases are both the Paddington movies, as well as Kung Fu Panda 3. Haywire and Coriolanus showed me there was hope for Channing Tatum and Gerard Butler, respectively. Uh, Daybreakers is a special one for being a really good January horror release. Uh, the So Bad It's Good... Uh, but goes back to bad techno-thriller Untraceable is prime January garbage. Uh, High School Me somehow enjoyed the SAT heist comedy The Perfect Score, another January turkey. Yeah, wasn't The Perfect Score the one with Tom Green when we were trying to make that happen? I don't know if that was it or not. I know he was in a movie with Jason Lee that was yeah. stealing harvard is that one that's okay. what you're thinking of i think perfect. so yeah. so there you go perfect score who the hell knows my brother really likes Coriolanus. Uh, it's mm-hmm. good for what it is i mean it's not that it's shakespeare i just found it kind of boring to be honest with you same with oh, haywire uh for the record uh, the perfect score actually stars uh erica christensen and chris evans oh no <laughs> in case you couldn't tell this was pre Captain America. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I, I would I would quite hope so. Um, I mean, you've heard good things about Coriolanus. Haywire is underrated. I think that's a really good Steven Soderbergh actioner. Um, it's got a lot of great people in it. Um, Huge cast. That's an amazing cast. Yeah, Antonio Banderas, Channing Tatum, uh, Gina Carano's the lead. Fassbender. Fassbender. Bunch of great people in that. But yeah, also, I, I've said this before, the two Paddington movies are pretty goddamn great, especially the second one. I still have to see those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I will also co-sign on Untraceable, uh, is so dumb. That was the one with, I believe it's Diane Lane. Yeah, yeah, and, yep, yep. And there's the point where someone hacks into her OnStar <laughs> and locks her in her car. Perfect. So wonderful. God, it's bad trash. Shaquille Lambert, another previous guest from the show, uh, says, Best, uh, there's a surprisingly high amount of January flicks I enjoy. Final Destination 2 still holds up as a really fun thriller, especially that opening car crash. Two of my favorite January movies came out a week apart from each other, Cloverfield and Rambo. Uh, Also, two of Liam Neeson's better recent movies, Taken and The Grey, both came out at the tail end of the month in their respective years. And even though I know it's not good... I have a huge soft spot for You Got Served. Worse, uh, take your pick from the dozens of shitty horror flicks, but Texas Chainsaw 3D, Alone in the Dark, and The Bye Bye Man stand out especially. However, all of those combined still aren't as bad as both Epic Movie and Meet the Spartans. Yes, we talked about those spoof movies a lot oh. on a spoof movies episode. <laughs> Everyone talked about how bad those were. Most of them did come out in January, shockingly. Yeah, and I think we might have referenced before, but the Texas Chainsaw franchise is so all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they doing anymore with it? My thing, just stop. I don't know where you could really go. I could see where you could go with a lot of the other different franchises. Not Texas Chainsaw, because it's so limited to... The title itself says, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right, that's it. Like, really, after that remake happened, I don't know where else you can go. And even then, in the original series, that stopped being interesting after 2. Where 2 just went bonkers with it in a fun way. Which is my favorite one out of the whole... Franchise, I, I concur so with that. <laughs> it's so insane. If I can give us but, Bill uh, Mosley as Chop Top. Yep. Arguably gave us Bill Mosley, period. I think so. Yeah. Cloverfield, I, I I dig on Cloverfield. Rambo, I also dig on. It's such a crazy... The Grey is supremely underrated, I think, because so many more people are still burned on the marketing campaign about it being like the Liam Neeson fights Wolves movie. Even though, mm-hmm. what the point of that movie really is, it's a lot more about these men accepting the embrace of death, and it's not really about fighting wolves. I think more people need to appreciate that movie on its own terms compared to the marketing. No, I agree with that. It was very, uh, not, well, yeah, I guess it was poorly marketed, but it was misleading. And, you know, I don't, I'm not really big on the Final Destination series at all. Though 2 is one of the better ones, I would say, for sure. Because that's the one that has, like, the car crash he's mentioning with, like, the logs and shit. The log truck, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, three was fun if you got the home video version. Oh god, that I was so the DVD off version by that, or whatever. Where you choose your own adventure bullshit. Not nah, Bandersnatch. Yeah, that is not, ter- sir. No, no, no. It's a terrible gimmick. But I mean, it's fun for that. And plus, to see uh, God, what's her name? Huge star now. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. 
yeah, 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 yeah. To see where she might have come from, you know, stuff like that. You know, it's not sky high, but it's right there. Yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I, it, Final Destination never did it for me. I, I didn't even bother with the bye-bye, man. <laughs> like, why? And I'm a horror movie fan, just like, you know, but I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna do it. Bye-bye, man is uh, pretty terrible, but man, there are so many funny, stupid moments in that movie. It's ridiculous. Um, it's it's perfect garbage January horror movie in uh, in a lot of regards. Um, and then we had some people comment about our year in review episode. Uh, Mariana, who's at Bruja underscore baby, said, Oh, man, I really liked Venom. Hey, Mariana, we're sorry about Venom. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but you know what? You're part of like 50% of the population, so don't feel bad. A lot of people yeah. like that movie. No, and plus not to mention we referenced that it was not nearly like one of the worst movies that came out that year. No, I expected it to be way worse. In fact, even when I did my, because I didn't see a lot this year, and it didn't even make my top five bad movies this year. Mm -hmm. Like, I've seen five worse movies than Venom, and that's saying a lot for me this year. Right. In between when we did that episode, um, I did watch another really bad one um, that um, it's maddening how awful this is. Uh, Life Itself, the Oscar Isaac movie that came out. Oh my um, god, I heard that was atrocious. It is one of the most bafflingly terrible movies that I'm surprised anyone bid on when it was at Sundance. It's, oh my god. It's aggressively smug and annoying in a way that fascinates <laughs> me. You know, it's, it looked aggressively smug, like oh the trailer. God. You have no idea. Oh, you don't <laughs> know. Nor will I ever, unless it's picked. I will never watch it. Yes. If it's picked. To close out our feedback on that, uh, Mallory Somerville uh, at Rosemary's Bay on Twitter says, uh, I'm putting in a vote for a Travolta episode on Double Edge Double Bill. The people have spoken. Hashtag make Adam suffer again. Mallory's my cousin and all. Yeah. My cousins go fuck herself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, what's going to be coming out that's Travolta related after the Gotti debacle? Nothing. <sighs> I did see Gotti, by the way, as well. Oh no! Oh, that was that's very funny. Bad. I'm that that one was pretty entertaining. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I wouldn't mind necessarily doing a Travolta episode if anything else to because, like, I think that guy, despite how much you necessarily loathe him, Adam, I find his career fascinating, and I find his choices fascinating because I think we we talked about self awareness earlier with Torque. John Travolta is a guy who I think people kind of play on sort of his affability in sometimes really good ways. I think that's what worked about, say, like a Saturday Night Fever or even Pulp Fiction. Is there's a certain affability about him as a performer that when you kind of play that tone with him, it really works. Um, and then most of the time it ends up with garbage. I agree that there are far more bad Travolta movies than not, but I would still say there's enough pretty good ones that would deserve a shout. Like, honestly, probably my favorite Brian De Palma movie, Blowout, I love. I think You know, really I've never movie. seen that. It's in my queue. Because I watched that De Palma documentary. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I didn't realize how many Brian De Palma movies I haven't actually seen. Mm -hmm. And how egotistical he is about them when he talks about them. I'm like, oh, now I gotta yep. see them all. <laughs> so, that one looks interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, it's because it, it's also it helps that it has, like, John Lithgow plays a serial killer in it. And it's got some of, I think, the most impressive shots to Palmer's ever done. Uh, Nancy Allen's also great. And I think Travolta, I think, really works as well. I think he, especially as sort of like a, he plays a sound engineer for films who ends up getting caught in a big political controversy in the thriller angle. And right. I think he does a really good job with it. I, I think, we kind of talked about this too, Adam. What would be a few of the good ones for you of Travolta? Well, Pulp Fiction, for sure. Right. Serenite Fever, uh, even like Urban Cowboy. As much as I hate to even say it, I think the original Look Who's Talking. Really? Not any of the sequels. The original. But I also just remember that movie fondly. I also haven't seen it in a long time. And you're going to start to lose me here. I can't think of the one movie. Uh, God, I, see, that's how, what I'm saying. I, I, I just don't follow him. There was the one movie with him and um, Samuel Jackson where he was in. He was like a military investigator. Oh, yeah, I think uh, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name of that movie. but it, Like I can Man, see, of, Man of Honor or something like that. I can see the poster in my head. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. That was pretty decent. It was okay. You know what? The, last, the most recent one, and it's been a while since this, in the Hairspray musical remake. Now, A, I don't like musicals. Right. B, I hate Travolta. Right. And C, I hate bad contacts on people. And his <laughs> contacts were terrible. 
But then again, that's totally more up your alley than would it be mine. I did see that movie. I think it was on cable or something. But if you were to ask me anything about it, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I just but, know Christopher Walken was in it too. That's about all I know. They have a whole dance number. It's adorable. I, I would still at the same time, I would not say put Grease in that good pile. I think Grease is mm-hmm. a supremely overrated movie. I do Grease not like is Grease. awful. Yeah. Or the, what was the one with Jamie Lee Curtis where he's where they're like working out together and stuff. Oh, God, I know. What you, it's like the version of Star 80 that wasn't very good. Yes, yes. Or is yes. it Star 80? I can't remember. Like, there, no, there's, it's, it's the not. same story. It's called something else, yeah. Right. But yeah, I wouldn't mind necessarily doing a Travolta episode or at least doing some good, especially Travolta movies on the show. We've done enough bad ones where we, he deserves a good shot at him. Ah, uh, whatever. It's called Perfect, by the way. Oh, that's, that's right. That one's called Perfect. <laughs> if something comes up to where it's topical, I'm not opposed to it. But I am not of all four just fucking shoehorning a Travolta episode in. Well, who would you rather, like, if we had to do a one episode about one of your, like, top three, the worst ones, it's like, what, it's John Voight, John Travolta, and Dennis, Dennis Quaid, Quaid. which yeah. would you be willing to do an episode on between those three? John Voight. Because you can admit that he's been in at least a lot of good movies, despite. He's been in two great movies we've talked about on the show, Deliverance and Heat. Yes. Yeah, I could do more John Voight than I could Travolta, and if I had to go second, it'd be Dennis Quaid. Just, fuck, I hate John Travolta. We do want to thank uh, some people before we get to our picking. Thanks to Chris Oliver for the music used in her show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda, who does the art for our show. She accepts commissions at fiverrwith2rs.com slash eescarda. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at dedbpod. That's where we put out the feelers for the best and worst thing the week prior to when we record and we also put those out every monday so expect that every monday we put those out and that's right before we put out the episodes themselves on tuesday right after um that we would have just recorded and you can also email us feedback at double double bill at gmail.com also we don't talk about it enough we're on the Podbean network we're on spotify uh, you can find us there um we uh, also YouTube. have the youtube yes the youtube channel find me individually i'm at not the who's tommy on twitter um, and I also do writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com. Around the time this episode is up, my uh, top 20 of 2018 should also be up as well on that website. I'm in the process of writing it as of right now. Um, there's a lot of diverse picks, and I'll probably link to it on the various Facebook pages and Twitter and stuff. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us to give the show more visibility. And you can find Adam in theaters this January. Sure. So... Are you ready for next week's picks? Yes, and Adam, what's the topic for next week? M. Night Shyamalan, in honor of Glass coming out. Which there's a lot of anticipation about that, um, after especially one movie uh, that he did prior did pretty well. Right. Well, two, two. Right, a lot of people, um, we won't mention the movies because we're very dubious about picking them. Um, yeah. it's, we don't want to mention them first. I have the two good movies, and uh, Adam, you have uh, the task of picking two bad ones, which can be pretty... Super easy. Super easy. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a smorgasbord. There's an embarrassment of riches you could go for with that. Um, and I have what I hope gets picked, but we'll have to wait until uh, we do that. First, for my two good choices, Adam, you will pick a number between 1 and 10, and whatever of the two numbers I picked for my two choices that gets close to, they'll end up being the good pick. And then I'm going to do the same thing for the bad choice, for those of you who might be new. Mm-hmm. So... Number two, one in ten for my two good choices, Adam. Let's go dead in the middle, number five. All right. At number three, I had, um, it's, it's funny we referenced Glass, because um, I had the movie that unintentionally kicked off this trilogy, Unbreakable. God, what a good movie. Arguably, I would say his best movie. I absolutely 100% agree with you. It's his best movie. Though Sixth Sense is great, but... Was that your other choice? No, my other choice, actually, uh, speaking of this trilogy, was at number right. eight, Split. Yeah, that's it. Hey, it's it. I like Split, too. Yeah. I got I a couple it's... problems with it, but I think, you know, it's good. Oh, for McAvoy alone. That's why I'm so yeah, fascinated. Oh, it's so worth it. I can't wait to see the contrast of the Samuel Jackson and Bruce Willis being so underplayed and James McAvoy going ham. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I'm very curious to see, you know, because Samuel Jackson may be giving a shit. Bruce Willis not giving a shit because he doesn't anymore. And McAvoy just going full bore. Uh, the last time I think both of those men were like as great as they were between him and Shyamalan was when they worked together on Unbreakable. That's the last time I thought uh, they were both at like their height. Yeah, I agree with that. I can't yes. disagree at all. Yeah. Um, but now, Adam, I got to do my uh, picking. 
The two bad choices. Before, I'm just going to point out. Yes. I have not seen either of these. Ooh. Okay. So that's how I did it this time. Well, um, I will go with Sight Unseen number seven. At number seven, I have After Earth. Oh. Oh. Boy. Uh, fuck. Uh, what was the other choice? One ad lady in the water. Okay. Um, gun to my head, I'd probably watch After Earth first. Really? I would say Lady in the Water is, I would argue, his very worst movie. Because it has oh. all of his pretensions and all of his, like, the height of his egomania. At you his were hoping for the happening. I was so hoping for the happening! <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, bad Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. That's why I didn't pick it. I was like, fuck it. I'll never watch these movies unless I pick them for this show. <sighs> well, uh, I mean, you know, at least it's a bit relevant because uh, Will Smith's coming back into the limelight now uh, with Aladdin coming out. Um, this will be curious, especially uh, to go back to Jane Smith's uh, big rise and fall of his career with this one. There's a lot to talk about with both those movies, though, so uh, we'll be talking about that. But until then... Good night, everybody. Good night, and I'd also like to throw out Get Shorty as the best Travolta appearance ever. Oh my god, Adam, I'm so happy. (laughs) Oh my god, so weird. So weird.